100 years. A reason to celebrate. But what did it take to make it this far? Faith. Courage. Love. Hope. Commitment. What will it take for us to achieve God's future? All he asks is that we are all in. Morning, all. Great to be with you here this morning. All in challenge. We've been doing this uh, for four weeks. We have or, or three today and next Sunday. And this series is been about is about our mission statement, right? Our mission statement. Uh, these three words that we're talking about yesterday, or I mean, excuse me, the last two weeks and this Sunday, come right out of our mission statement. Invite, make, mobilize. What's our mission statement? Inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We've known that for a while. And we added this as a so what. What does it mean? Inviting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus in order to make and mobilize disciples, right, uh, for, to reach our community and our world. So these three words, we're just pulling them out as we're celebrating, of course, the great history of Browncroft's 100 years we want to say amen and celebrate that, but we, have, we want to also say it's our turn. We want to continue to see this church do even more than it has done in helping to make and mobilize disciples. So that's what we've been doing. It's really about our mission statement, and our mission statement is really based on, of course, the original one that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago, almost word for word, very similar, that he gave John, it was John's text last Sunday, Matthew's the most common, um, popular version, Matthew chapter 28, and he talked about making disciples, that's the business of the church, but I want to just take a second to talk about the word that, 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 the verb that overrides, you might say, conditions this entire statement, Jesus says, listen, these are the words of Jesus, go, but it's an active participle, and many have translated it this, as you are going... Right? As you are going, then make disciples. Teach them everything I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the big idea given to the disciples, and when you see Jesus talking to the disciples, when you see Jesus giving instruction to the disciples, put yourself in that place. We are the church. We are the disciples in this day. He says, go. Uh, all of us are to be going and doing what it is that God has called us to do. We're using the word mobilize, and that's what this sermon is about here today. <laughs> missions, you might say, is or service, serving, if you want to call it missions, serving. It's not a department of the church. It's not supposed to be a department of the church. Of course, we have a missions department in this manner of speaking. But missions is all of our job, right? Every one of us is supposed to be involved in missions. It's really, you might say, the ultimate expression of our discipleship. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you or I ultimately, all that study and prayer, all that community building, all very important, ultimately needs to be expressed in various ways in which you and I are the body of Christ serving in the world. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I want you to think about uh, as we not only finish this week, but finish this entire series. It's the ultimate expression of your discipleship. My hope, my dream, right, 
is, is we're thinking about the next, you know, future of our church, even the next year, not to mention the next many, many years, is that every single person in this church, from those, I just met someone last service, two people actually in the last hour, who said, I just met you from Peace on the Pastor in the last uh, 60 days. From those people who are just in the life of this church to some who've been here for many, many, many years, that every single person in this church would take a step Maybe it's another step, a higher step in some kind of mobilization, some kind of service in the life of this church or through the life of this church. That's my dream. Everyone serving, everyone on mission. Really, even this year. We don't need to wait for that. You don't need to, be a, you don't need to graduate from a course. You don't, it's not about graduate Christianity. Every person, no matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, You have a role to play if you want to truly experience discipleship as Jesus designed it to be. So today's message, all in, our third of these last big ideas. Next week will be a celebration at the end. All in, mobilize, Romans 12, 1 through 8. And let me say this too. I'm going to get to this before we close. The purpose of this card is really about next Sunday. Okay, so we'll get to that in a minute. We really are encouraging everyone. Even as I'm talking to friends online, listen, I hope to see many of you here next Sunday, right? We'll, we'll, we'll find room for you. We have room for you, obviously, now, but if, if we all come, we'll, we'll, we'll have a third service next week. I don't know. But we'd love to see everybody here as we all make a commitment together. That's really what this card is, a commitment to where God is calling you to take a next step. It'll be different for everybody, right? We're all in different places relative to our experiencing the mission, but we all can take a next step. That's what this is all about. Now, today I want to talk about a a sermon titled All In, Mobilize, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Familiar passage, follow along as I read. Apostle Paul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body... With many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. It's called the body of Christ. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, well, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do it cheerfully, right? All in, mobilize. Romans chapter 12, let me say quickly, we're not studying the book of Romans, but Romans chapter 12 is the turning point, not just a turning point in the book of Romans, it's a turning point in the entire theology of the New Testament. All the first 11 chapters, other parts of the New Testament too, the Apostle Paul is trying to explain what the gospel is. Remember, the gospel is brand new in the sense of its very narrow understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That was a game changer. It changed everything. 
for the people of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul has gotten, spent all these chapters talking about what does it mean that God sent his son? What does it mean that the ultimate long-awaited Messiah has shown up in the person of Jesus, that he was crucified, that he rose the third day and he offers the forgiveness of sins? Oh my goodness, what does that mean? How does it change the game? He spent 11 chapters the greatest theological document, at least Christian document, written ever, book of Romans, saying what it is in chapter 12, it's a turning point. He says, what does it now mean, the gospel that you've received, that I've received? What does it mean? The boundary lines for the people of God have forever changed. What do I mean by that? It's no longer being a, being a person of faith, being a Christian, let's say, being a follower of the God of the Bible. It no longer has anything to do with physical descent. In other words, who my parents are, who my grandparents are, what the color of my skin is. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It did, if you know your Old Testament, right? The Jews had a special place, right? It has nothing more longer to do with ethnicity. Listen, it, it doesn't even have anything to do with the works of the law. Now, that's really, that's really kind of sobering. You spent your whole generations sitting there learning about the old covenant. I'm talking about the teachings of Moses. In, in a manner of speaking, even the law no longer serves the same purpose it did in the old covenant. So everything has changed. The boundary lines have changed. A new rule of life, you want to call it that, had to be formulated, and it's outlined in these verses that we just read. The appeal, this address is to the new people of God, I'm about the church, okay? The new people of God, now grounded in the new mercies of God. God's always been merciful, but the sending of his son was, was dramatic and a fulfillment. It's the highest of mercies. A new people of God grounded in the new mercies of God. Now listen very carefully. Asking a new question. Asking a new question. This, this passage is about, what's the new question? Paul, Peter, James, John, Jesus, now that the gospel has changed everything, now that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law all the way down to the smallest letter, the smallest stroke of the pen, now that that's happened, and now that how do I discover the will of God for my life when the old playbook has been put down? See, it's hard for us to appreciate that because we didn't live in the old covenant. But this is how radical it is. The old playbook... I'm talking about the Old Covenant, had been put down in a manner of speaking. Not put down like it's, it's junk, it's unvaluable. No, it's not invaluable. It represents the character of God. It represents the desires God has for me and for you. I'm talking about the morality of the Ten Commandments. But as a way to reach and have a relationship with God, it's put down because Jesus Christ was lived the life that the law outlines down to the very last uh, line. He died the perfect death that the law outlines. Um, prescribes in the book of Leviticus. He did all that on your behalf, on my behalf. So in a manner of speaking, these friends who are no longer going to temple, no longer bringing animal sacrifices, no longer going to synagogue, no longer matters whether or not they're Jewish or not, brothers and sisters of all different kinds, all different backgrounds, saying, listen, how do I discover the will of God for my life? That's what this passage is about. It's radical, okay? The appeal is... To the new people of God, grounded in the new mercies of God, asking this question, three things quickly. First one, what he's saying here. And it's important we get these one leads to the next, okay? A new kind of worship. That's really what this passage is. But what I want to say to you in the few minutes I have is mobilizing, being involved in serving and being the body of Christ. 
right? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? It's not necessarily what we're doing right here. The be the body of Christ, three through eight, says, if those of you who have this gift, do it. If those of you have that gift, do it. We are to be the physical presence of Christ in the world, doing in a manner of speaking what Jesus did, loving people, caring for people, healing people, praying for people, sharing the gospel, showing up, showing a different way to live, showing a different way to respond to criticism. Jesus was doing all that, and we are to be his body in the world to do that, okay? But it starts with a new worship, a new kind of worship. As I said, absent from this passage, not only Romans 12, but the rest of the book of Romans, is any mention of the law. And the reason I bring that up is not to say I'm anti-law. What I'm saying is this. The law really told you how to live your life, right? How do I raise my kids? How do I do this? How do I do In other words, it was my guideline. But now Jesus fulfilled the law, and these people have a certain anxiety. They say, well, what about my animal sacrifice? Paul says, you don't do it anymore. What about the temple? In a manner of speaking, you don't have to go there anymore. Okay, so there was this anxiety. What does it mean? How do I discover the will of God? Paul says, well, it starts, but you have to, it starts with a new kind of worship. Jesus Christ lived the life the law demanded. The book of Exodus. All of it. Jesus Christ died as the ultimate sacrifice that the law demanded. Book of Leviticus. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, to be in Christ, you've heard that term. You say, what does that mean? What it means to be in Christ is that I, by faith in Jesus, putting my faith in Jesus, what do I mean I'm putting my faith in Jesus? I'm putting my faith in who he is and what he did. And in a manner of speaking, this is the mystery of our faith, that I can't, I can't draw a picture of it. In a manner of speaking, I have become one in union with what Jesus did. God applies the perfect life of Jesus. I don't live a perfect life. And he applied the ultimate sacrifice, paying the penalty of sin in in that kind of substitutionary death. He applies that to me so that in a manner of speaking, that's what it means to be a Christian, I now have the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is in me. And when I have the righteousness of Christ, what does it mean? He finished the race that you couldn't run, that I couldn't run, and he took a bullet for you in, in his death that I, was, that I deserved. And what Paul says is, I'm, I'm saying a lot in a few words, he's saying, listen, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that he did it all for you, now offer your bodies what you're doing with your life as in, grat- in response to that gratitude. Be the body of Christ in the world. That's what I'm saying. It has to begin with a new kind of worship. There is no greater incentive to living a holy life than the contemplation of the mercies of God. There is no great... See, what's my motivation? Why why should I live a different quality of life? Why should I seek to become more like Jesus? Why should I seek to be the presence of Christ in the world, in my classroom, in my neighborhood, in my job, in the way that I respond, in the way I live out my marriage, in the way I parent? Why would I want to be the body of Christ, live like Jesus, be a witness in my living in this world? The greatest motivation, the primary motivation, Romans 12, 1, is the contemplations of the mercy of God. This is in view of God's mercy if you truly appreciate what God has done for you, then you will have the ability to live a different quality of life. Everything, all of the growth that will happen in your life, if you want to grow, I want to grow as a Christian, 
all of the serving that you may or may not do is, will come out of a greater appropriation of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's what I want to say. In view of God's mercy. I heard a pastor, one of the most respected pastors living today. I was just listening to an audio sermon, but he said this in front of his congregation. He said, listen, if you, were, if you had access to a video or a transcription of my thoughts on the average week, you'd never come back to church again. <laughs> now, he, and he wasn't saying that to make a big confession, okay? He wasn't. He was saying that to make a great theological point, and the theological point is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ says this, is, says that God has come into the world to save inexcusable sinners like him. That's what he's trying to say. In view of God's mercy. That's what, and listen to the Apostle Paul's testimony in case you want to hear an even more stronger person that's saying the same thing. The guy who wrote a third of the New Testament. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I remember when I read this verse, I thought, this isn't how Paul usually talks. He sounds like he's a founding father or something. Here is a trustworthy saying that is f- worthy of full acceptance because he's trying to get your attention. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Full stop of whom I am the worst. Now think about that. Is that the kind, do you want to go to that guy's church? Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown, here's our word, mercy, God's forgiveness, great undeserved mercy, undeserved grace, forgiveness, so that in me, in other words, I'm an example. I said, now I'm going to say it for the second time. The worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his patience as an example of those who would believe. Translation, listen. God took someone who no one would think would deserve God's love. And why, what, what did the, some of you know the story. Paul just wasn't a, a self-important, you know, cranky know-it-all. Who, Paul was a mercenary who went from city to city, if you know the New Testament, hunting down people who were Christians and killing them. Okay, killing them. And then he becomes a Christian and realizes, oh my gosh, what have I done? And he's saying, listen, God chose me, a mercenary, a murderer, on purpose so that I could be a living example to say to people, if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, it's got nothing to do with, you don't earn your salvation. It's, it's free in view of God's mercy. And Paul says, everything that I'm going to do in my life, and Paul did an awful lot. He was a workhorse till the day he died as a martyr. He did it out of gratitude for what God had done for him. Okay? What God had done for him. This is what sacrifice means. Okay? The sacrifice that, or excuse me, this is, uh, there's nothing you can do to make God love you uh, more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And if you really want to experience your divine sacred purpose, you have to get a hold of that truth. The more you can appreciate and appropriate God's love for you, the closer you'll get to doing what it is that God really has called you to do. Okay? It's a new kind of worship. Second, very quickly, it's a new kind of sacrifice. It's the heart of this passage. I'd like to get right to verse 3 through 8 to talk about the body of Christ. It's my subject today. But Paul's saying, listen, before you're going to make a difference out there, whether we're talking about 
working with kids, working with students, working with a local partner, sharing the gospel with your neighbors, whatever. Before you're going to make a difference out there, you have to have a transforming experience right here. Because if you don't, you're not being the body of Christ. Okay? And what he's saying is, listen, this is a new kind of worship. There's no more temple. There's no more tabernacle. This is a fancy building, but there's, there's nothing going on up here. Right? We don't transact business up here, so to speak. Right? The new kind of worship requires a new kind of sacrifice. See, sacrifice is still the heart of worship. As it was for a thousand years, it was always the heart of worship. Bring your animal, bring your, bring your dove, bring your, bring your lamb, bring your ram. It was the heart of worship. Paul says, don't be anxious. No more temple, sir. You don't have to go to the temple anymore. You don't have to go to the tabernacle anymore. You don't need to have any dead animals anymore. God is not, there's a different, that doesn't, a part of what it means to follow God anymore. What he's saying, listen, there's still sacrifice, but it's not about something you bring to God that's external from yourself. It's not about bringing the animal, bringing the bird, bringing the ram, or even writing the check. What the sacrifice of God requires today is a surrendered life. It's in that kind of sacrifice, he uses a I guess an oxymoron, a, a paradoxical term. It's a living sacrifice, which doesn't make any sense because Paul, what's he trying to say? He's trying to wake you up. Paul, I've never heard of a living sacrifice. Every sacrifice that ever would take place in the worship system of Israel was, of course, killed. That was the whole point. He's saying, but this one's living, which means that it never stops. And what it really practically means, what is the practical meaning? What is, what is the nature of what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, practically speaking, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means refusing to be conformed to the world's ways and choosing to surrender to the will of God daily. See, if you do, I don't figure out how to do that, then you're not going to be the body of Christ in the world. And there's a lot of the church, and this one included perhaps, who are Christians maybe, but they're not really being the body of Christ. Okay? It's about choosing every single day to say no to the world and yes to the will of God. The Phillips translation, I don't have it behind me, but says this, Romans 12, 2. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds and hearts within that you can prove what it is God wants you to do. Say, you've heard me say this before, and this isn't just for parents. The world has a discipleship program too, Right? When, and what does it mean to um, live with integrity? What does it mean to be a businessman or a woman? What does it mean to be a teacher or a student, to have sexual uh, ethics? Whatever the case may be, the world has a discipleship program too, and it's working 24-7 to mold you into its shape. And what it means, the sacrifice of this worship system is every single day you decide that God is the better run- runner of your life than you are. You have to come to the death Okay, sacrifice. If there's a death part, you have to come to the death of your own will to run your own life, to think that you know how to run your life better than God does. That's what it means. So unless you and I get that down, that's a 24-7 kind of thing, you'll never experience the full meaning of what it means to be a disciple. This passage is teaching us the essence of the Christian life is to put to death the idea that you belong to yourself that you actually know what is best for your own life. Think about that for a minute. Some of us think, well, I got that down. Yeah, there's a few things I need some help on, but I, I know how to run my marriage. I know how to run my money. I know how to deal with, 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 with um, criti- criticism. I know how to do this. I, I'll take care of that. 
No, you don't. Right? Paul's saying, it's interesting. Well, you've heard people say this passage before, this statement before. Um, give Jesus your heart. And I've probably said that before. Friends, give Jesus your heart. Surrender your heart to him. And I believe that's true. And kind of what we mean by the word heart in the scriptures is our will, our mind, our emotions. Give him your best, and that's true. But it's interesting that the Apostle Paul uses different words here. Surrender your body and surrender your mind. Right? Therefore, be a living sacrifice and offer your heart. My, my, my faith is private. No, Offer your body as a living sacrifice so that your mind can be transformed. A living sacrifice means this. God cares about what you do or don't do with your body. God cares about what you do or don't put in front of your mind. Okay? That's what we're talking about. And until you and I truly begin to understand this is a way of life, it's a living sacrifice till the day you die, you'll never experience the full understanding. You'll never be able to prove and attest the will of God for your life. See, that's the question they're trying to answer. Well, how, what do I, how, what do I, how do I do the will of God, Paul? How do I actually become what it is? I, I used to just go to the old, to the book of Exodus and, and then answer my question. Turn right here, turn left there. Don't eat meat like that. Wear this kind of clothes. Those are gone. Jesus fulfilled all those for you. Now what do I do? He says, you are the sacrifice, but it's a living one. And what's on the altar is your will to run your own life. And you have to say to God, maybe 10 times a day, maybe 100 times a month, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense that I should do this. I, my, my inclination is to do that, to spend my money here, to, 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 to justify my behavior. My inclination is to do this. But Lord, Holy Spirit, I'm going to do what you say because I believe that I'm going to surrender my will that you can run your life. You can run my life better than I can. That's what a living sacrifice is. And there's no point in me telling you, get in the mobilization game if you don't know how to live the Christian life that way. Quick story. I became a Christian as a freshman in college. And um, my, uh, my, my freshman year, uh, I, I, uh, I drove to, we, we commuted just one year, me and one of my best buddies from high school, uh, just for that first year. Then he went on to another college. I went to another college. And um, he got a first front row seat to my, if you want to call it, beginning of my transformation. And, and it was, for him, it was, of course, interesting because, you know, I wasn't a Christian for our entire high school years. And I, I'm kind of one of these people who didn't, you know, I did one of these. In other words, my life went from going in this direction to this direction over time. So he got a front row seat. And so because we were just commuting together, happened to be this year where my life was, I didn't change overnight. Of course, I'm still changing, but some change was taking place in my life. And we had a lot of conversations, and, and most of them I forgot, but one of them I remembered thinking of this sermon. And he said to me, we're just driving to, to class one day, and he said, I've decided, Rob, that I, I don't think I can be a Christian. And I said, oh, because we've had a lot of nice conversations. And I said, why? And he goes, because I can't stop having sex. Now, you're smiling because you're thinking what I was thinking, like, what has that got to do? I mean, where did that come from? I don't remember us in our conversations having any conversations about that subject, right? I mean, what I knew about the Bible in that year, I mean, I don't think I really knew what the Bible said about it in a sense. I, I had very little biblical knowledge. 
I think my one sermon was, you know, the, 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 uh, the Philippian jailer. You know, if you know that story, Acts chapter 16, when, when the jail busts open and, and the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? I must have heard a sermon when I first became a Christian. And the answer was what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, right? And, 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 and that's all I knew. It doesn't say, what should I do to be saved? Stop having sex. You know, that's not, that's not the gospel. But um, I'm sure what I said to him was, you know, wow, where did that come from? Was, of course, if my friend, I almost said his name, you, you, you just need to, you need to trust Christ as your Savior and your life change follows. Okay, I'm sure I said something like that. But the reason I share that story is this. Even though he knew very little about the Bible, certainly less than I did, which wasn't a lot, he was not a follower of Jesus. He knew enough, I think, to say to become a Christian means your life is going to change. To become a Christian means you have to say, I no longer am going to run my own life. I think he understood that. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? Okay, it takes time but it's a new kind of worship. It's a new kind of sacrifice. And until I come to at least appreciate that, that I have to say no to the world, be not, trans, be trans, be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind day in and day out so that you can eventually prove, as you listen to the Spirit, the will of God for how to be a better husband, wife, student, Neighbor, friend, doctor, nurse, school teacher, whatever the case may be, okay? That's how you prove God's will. It's a living sacrifice. But then a new kind of worship finally leads to a new kind of service. Just a few words. A new kind of service. That's really where this is all headed. There's only three passages in the, in the New Testament where the body of Christ is mentioned. It's a metaphor, but it's, but it, it's 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans chapter 12. What is the point of that metaphor? It's not that tough. It's saying, listen, Jesus Christ rose from the dead in a physical way. He's not here. You're not going to find him on the planet today in physical form. The, the Christians, people like you and me, we are the physical manifestation of the presence of Christ in the world. That's what the body of Christ means. So that means, how does the body, the body of Christ, we're not so much the body of Christ in this moment. Of course we are if you're Christians. But when you look at what, what the, the Bible, in the three times where the body of Christ is used, all three places, it's talking about the gifts. And in this passage, the number of gifts aren't important. There's only seven here. There's different numbers in the other passages. I think there's 12 or 14 in 1 Corinthians 12. And the nature of the gift isn't important either. Some of you have been Christians a long time. Well, am I a this? Am I a that? Listen, it, what gift you have been given, whether it's a spiritual gift, which is a, an endowment that comes to you when you become a Christian. I think that's what the spiritual gift is. It's an additional endowment that you didn't have before you were a Christian. Or it's the, let's say, the redemption, the, the renewal, the, the, the life-giving repurposing of a talent that you had of a different kind that you were also given by your creator. In either case, it's about deploying those things not for your own use. Do not let anyone think more highly of themselves than they ought, right? But think soberly in line with the faith that God has given you. But using those gifts not to draw attention to myself, but to demonstrate to the world that there's a different way to live. There's a different way to be a man. There's a different way to be a woman. There's a different way to be a husband. There's a different way to be a student. There's a different way to be um, a, a neighbor. There's a different way to be 
in, in line with who Christ is actively in the world. To be the body of Christ means that you are an agent of Christ's likeness. You are a little Christ in the world. Now that can happen in A, B, and C Hall. That can happen in a local partner like Alyssa said. It can happen in a far off country, but it has to happen through you and through me. And if it's not happening, see, we live in a dangerous time in this way. Maybe this always hasn't always been true. But you can be a church member today in 2021. Oh my goodness. It can be, a, it's, like, it's like Netflix. In other words, you can say the preaching ain't so good here, I'm going down the road. The music ain't so good here, I'm going down the road. The children's ministry not good, I'm going, okay, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine unless you're coming here. I'm joking. But anyway, the point is, it's not fine. But the, the, the challenge I'm saying is, if that's all the Christian life is to you, in other words, it's a consumer good, you're not a disciple of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying. Saying, ladies and gentlemen, it begins with a new worship. You yourself are the sacrifice, but ultimately, it's about mobilization. It's about you being the body of Christ, being men, women, young and old students, showing the world a different way. But you can't show the world a different way just through um, a bunch of ideas, by telling people how they need to run their lives. You have to experience a transformation. I hope what my friend was saying to me, although we never had one single conversation that I can remember about that subject, that he was saying something about what he may have seen taking place in my life. That's what we're talking about. Last quick story. Uh, uh, Speaking of mobilization, how simple it is. In this passage, it says two things. Romans 12, 6, every person has gifts. Spiritual gifts and natural gifts. So if you think you don't have one, you're, you're fooling yourself. You're being falsely modest. And two, the point of the gifts here is not what you have because the gift that you started out with, three, five, seven years, may morph or evolve into a totally different gift. Because God, here's what I think God does. He says, listen, George, George has been very faithful with these two gifts I've given him. He's, you can either say, this is, I'm a great teacher, I'm a great singer, I'm a great uh, communicator, I'm a great whatever, and so I shine the light on myself and God says, okay, this, this, this friend don't give him anything more because he's going to poison himself. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Well, then you say, well, this guy, he's, he stays humble. He's the best, you know, parking lot guy. He's the best small group leader. He's the best, you know, sharing his faith with his neighbors. Guy. And God says, listen, pull the dump truck over and give him some more gifts because his heart's in the right place. It's the gift's not important, verses 6b through 8. It's that you're doing something. Reread those verses. If you're prophesying, then prophesy. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. In other words, get in the game. A month ago, I was sitting over here after a service. Cheryl and Bill McGee, you've heard this story, so I want to retell it. Cheryl and Bill McGee, uh, Bill's deaf, Cheryl's not. They've been involved in our deaf ministry in our church. I think they've been on a mission trip or two. They've done things in serving family ministry, whatever the case may be. But they see what's going on in Ukraine. This is six weeks ago. She says, Pastor, can I talk to you for 10 minutes? That's what she said to me. We talked for maybe 30, maybe 20. And she said, I don't know how to do it, but I feel God's calling me, us, to be a part of helping extract deaf folks from Ukraine. Okay. It's like saying I want to go to the moon. You know? <laughs> but I said, well, I know one guy who's, a, who's married to a Ukrainian woman who's a kind of a missionary pastor friend. Here's his name. That's all I know. Let's pray. You know the rest of the story, part of it. Within four or six weeks, a lot of other people got in the game. Bill and Cheryl just kept praying, talking, praying, talking. God, how can I get in the game? 
and, the, and those dreams turned into you, Browncroft Community Church, giving about $50,000, a matching gift of $100,000. And let me just give you the report she gave me of what took place the last month of April. Of course, this is an ongoing story. Three vans, these vans were extracting with DefBridge. I know I'm saying a lot. Some of you don't know what I'm saying, but DefBridge is a ministry in Ukraine that helps extract. They changed their, their business model from doing church plant, you know, sharing the gospel like I'm doing this morning to helping extract deaf people out of Ukraine, okay? They started doing that. The ministry was just van work, taking, driving them from Kiev and Kharkiv and other places into surrounding countries, They had three vans, now they have nine, thanks to you and others. In just the last week of April, yeah, yeah, amen. In just the last week of April, they extracted 138 people. Many from the eastern regions, which as you follow this story, is some of the most dangerous regions. They've also taken into the country, back in those empty vans, full of food, and every time they take the vans in, they can feed up to... Four to 500 people for a week. And they, every four or five days. In other words, more is going on. That all happened because of one couple who was crazy enough to believe, um, God, can you use me or use us to do something in something like that, okay? It's a new kind of service. Until, if you and I would say, listen, let's say it said another way. If you want to fully experience what it means to be a disciple, if you want to experience God in his fullest you have to get in the game, okay? That's my sermon. You have to get in the game. It starts with here. It has to be a true transformation. You can't really get in the game and be a game changer if you're not allowing your, surrendering your life because otherwise you're not, you're not really giving people something they need. You're giving them a, a, a sort of a, 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 a pharisaical religion that doesn't change people's lives. Some of you know what I'm saying. You have to be willing to, to realize that you're a living sacrifice. But if you're willing to do that, it's amazing what God can do. So let me say this. This is where we're headed. We use this series to celebrate the past, but for the purpose of pivoting to the future, to say, listen, we want to be the church. How do we be the church? Three simple ways. Invite, make, mobilize. And all we're saying to all of us, and this is what next Sunday is about, and if you're listening to me, I hope you come to church, and even if you haven't been here in a long time, be, I mean, because you're, you're watching, Let's be here together, although you can do this at home as well. And we want to make a commitment. But it's not an individual commitment like I'm going to give money to something or we're all going to go on a short-term mission trip. It's I want to do one step which is individualized. What's your next step in our mission? It probably has something to do with inviting, making, being involved in one-on-one discipleship or getting in the game, mobilizing, as as Alyssa said. That's where we're headed next Sunday to make a commitment together. And then, as I don't know if this has been said out loud a lot, but next Sunday we're going to have a celebration, right? Lunch, picnic, be a church together as well. But it's about making this commitment. So let me just say that. That's the most important thing I want to say. Um, And if you would like to pray with us over the next um, seven days, Text pray to this number. We just put together some short prayer devotions where you can be praying about your own heart, your own life, about this commitment, and praying for the life of this church. Okay? So just that's just something that we're all preparing between now and next Sunday. And then um, we're gonna we're gonna make a commitment next Sunday. 
Okay, bring these back with you. I want you to pray about it. And you'd say, well, there's only a few things on here. See, this thing says other. Maybe yours is going to say, I don't know. Something is, you know, I'm going to see my street come to Christ. I don't know what it is, okay? Like Cheryl and Bill McGee did. Uh, listen to God, and, and we're going to respond together. Let, lastly, let me say this. The um, Tuesday night, so 20 seconds, the big finale, but Tuesday night, right here, it's the actual 100th anniversary, May the 17th, 2022, May the 17th, Twenty, um, nineteen twenty-two. So we're going to have a service here. Those who I invite all of you to come, just a time to worship and pray together. Be just focused, just to say Amen. Thank you, Jesus, as we acknowledge the actual day, May the seventeenth.